Love Talk Radio.
at times hundreds of events going on simultaneously across the nation. I mean, we've got to get the uh, targets and gear out to all the instructors. We've got to fly people or drive or pay for them to drive to locations all across the United States. So we have to charge some money. But I'm telling you what, at uh, 70 bucks per person, uh, that's the highest price that you're going to pay right there, 70 bucks per person, all the way down to $5 per a person for kids or free for law enforcement, active duty guard, and reserve members. Uh, it is a re- really reasonable price, $70 for two days of rifle marksmanship training. And... Uh, Instruction. Let me say instruction because we don't do any training. Training implies that we're giving you something you're going to use at a later date, and we're just going to be instructing you. But while you're there, besides being the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the nation, you're going to get a couple of hours of American heritage, American history. We're going to start off by telling you about the events of April 19, uh, April 19, 1775. Who was there? why they were there, what they did, why they did it, what the what their actions resulted in, and that is the birth of this nation. That's the April nineteenth, seventeen seventy five is the day that this nation was birthed. We're gonna tell you about what happened. We're gonna tell you about uh where the American Revolutionary War actually started. Most people say uh, that the American Revolutionary War started at uh, Lexington Green. Or uh, others will say it started at the North Bridge in Concord, but it didn't. It didn't start at either one of those places. You want to find out where it did start? Come to the QA Rifle Marksmanship event, and we'll tell you where it started. All right, in just a few minutes, we're going to have Jan Morgan on the show. She'll be our guest tonight. Uh, Ms. Morgan is a uh, veteran of almost three decades of service with the Associated Press as an investigative reporter and a TV news person, anchorman. And uh, and she and I are going to be discussing the, the current attack on American liberties, uh, especially the, the current attack on the, the Second Amendment rights of Americans. Why... Why now? Why we're ha- why the attack is, is coming now and, and what what these Second Amendments, the anti gun folks are hoping to gain from this. Uh so she'll be on in just a few moments. Uh until then, what I'd like for you guys to do is <clears throat> always at the beginning of the show, I'd like for you guys to call in and uh and give thanks to your local crew members, uh the folks that uh that are going to be actually out running events this coming weekend and let us know how much you appreciate them. Let them know how much you appreciate them. The Apathy Project, we run our members uh we run our members really hard. And uh and sometimes we ride them right down into the dirt. We're not trying to do this uh because we're evil. We're trying to do this because we have a mission. We have a mission we're trying to accomplish. And uh, and it takes a lot of work. And just like in the military, uh, uh, whenever you fight off uh, the attack of uh, the enemy, that's normally not enough to get you a medal because it's your job. Uh, but it's still nice to hear the thanks of your fellow team members after the fight, right? 
and that's what uh, that's what we let you guys do uh, at the beginning of the show. So be sure and call in the number is three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero and uh, and we'll get you on the uh, on the air. And uh, if you don't want to. If you don't want to call in, you have something you want to say, just go ahead and put it in the chat room. If you're in the chat room, put it in the chat. And I'll try and monitor that uh, as the show is going on. You can put something in the chat, and I'll try and uh, make sure that I get it out on the air for you. Uh, the call screener told me that uh, he's experiencing some phone difficulties. So if you called in and he hasn't said anything to you yet, uh, give him a minute because uh, he may be having... Uh, Phone difficulties here. My call screener is actually uh, this is a, a true uh, online uh, national group. We've got uh, we've got guys in New Mexico uh, running the call screener for me. We've got uh, me in Texas. We've got the servers in New York. So we're completely spread out across the nation. Uh, so give the call screener a chance to. Uh, to talk to you, and then we'll get you in here as quickly as possible. <clears throat> All right, there's a there's been a lot of stuff that is going on in the last uh, week. We've got the terrible uh, tornadoes in Oklahoma. There's been tornadoes everywhere. Uh, we just uh, we had tornadoes here in Texas, and uh, I've managed to escape all of those. Uh, but we had several tornadoes here uh, up in the Fort Worth area. We had another one recently. And uh, and thank goodness that uh, that not myself and none of my neighbors were injured. And uh, and everybody locally has uh, made it through this safely. But the folks in Oklahoma were not so lucky. Uh, the last that uh, that I heard, there were well over 100 deaths in Oklahoma. And uh, and from this distance, there's not a lot you can do other than send your prayers. If you can make some donations to to any of the uh, any of the folks that are accepting them, you can do that. I think the most important thing to do uh, that I would advise is to send them your prayers. <clears throat> uh, the our nation right now is in a great deal of turmoil. There is uh, there is a constant assault currently upon our rights and freedoms, and uh, a great deal of this of this push uh, could be going on after what is called uh, conservative values, and. I don't think that conservative values are uh, are that far out of line with most people's values in America, and uh, and the constant attack upon the rights, the freedoms, and the values of Americans is something that that we all need to make sure that we're paying attention to. Uh, now I wrote a write up about. The show that I posted on uh, on Facebook, and then another one about the 
about the movie that Chuck Huntersheet did, Behold the Pale Horse, that uh, Appleseed was involved in. Because I feel almost like that that we are walking down a line uh, like like the like the future is something that we're not going to be able to to alter or have any effect on that we're walking down a course right now that uh, that does not have a good ending to it and and I'm not sure exactly what to do about that. I feel like uh that everything that is going on right now does uh, is leading toward uh, leading toward events that are going to quickly spin out of control. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to advocate uh, any type of of revolution or insurrection. I'm just saying that that's where it looks to me like it's headed. It looks like when you have uh, when you have tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Americans who are purchasing firearms, and millions of rounds of ammunition, not because they they want to go hunting or because they want to go target shooting, but because they fear their government. And I think that we're I think that we're heading toward a very bad place. When you have when you have the con the conversation uh that that includes talking about uh armed resistance to our government when that conversation can be had with uh with folks at uh, checkout counters in America at uh, gas pumps around the water cooler at work or or even over dinner conversation with new friends then then I think things are quickly uh, heading toward a bad place. In everyone's mind, this is something that is starting to become an event that we're not going to be able to escape from. The more people talk about it, the more that they the more they they consider it a likely outcome, then the less we're going to be able to do about this. And as I said, this is a very dangerous place that we're heading. Uh, and uh, that is uh, that's going to be a bit of what we're talking about tonight uh, on the radio show. Uh, there are quite a few things I think that you can do about it right now. One of the things that, uh, that you hear me talk about over and over is making sure that you're contacting your representatives and letting them know how you feel about the issues that they are uh, that they're working on, about their job performance. Letting your representatives know that you're paying attention because right now uh, I believe that our representatives think that they can they can do pretty much whatever they want. Because no one's watching. No one's watching what they're doing. No one's watching the deals that they're making. No one's watching them uh, sign away your rights and your freedoms. No one's watching it. No one's paying attention to it. So they can do it and they can get away with it. 
and you have to make sure and let them know that you are watching, that you're watching, and if they're doing things that you don't agree with, then you've got to let them know. I usually tell people when I'm talking to them about their representatives <clears throat> that they should uh, they should at least initially think about it in uh, in the way that uh, let's say that that their representative is is brand new and they really don't know what they're supposed to be doing, so they need you to tell them. So that's going to be your job. You contact your representatives and you let them know what they need to be doing. Now, once you've done that, uh, and when you do contact your representatives, now you're not actually going to talk to your representative. You're going to talk to whoever answered the phone, one of the staff members, all right? And you're going to have to be polite and uh, you're going to need to be concise in when you speak to them about what your needs are, what your desires are for them, because... Uh, they're not going to they're not going to uh, appreciate you yelling at them or screaming or cursing. They're probably going to hang up, which uh, which I would agree that they should do. Uh, and if you're just going to ramble, that's another thing that's going to cause them to hang up or not to be, or to misunderstand what you're trying to tell them. So make sure that when you contact them, you've got a nice, polite uh, demeanor and that you have uh, the the subject that you want to speak about, have it written down and uh, and have it uh, short, sharp, but to the point, and let them know what they need to do in order to represent you, because that's what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, somewhere in the last uh, 30 years or so, it seems like it's turned around. It seems like that our representatives feel that that they are now like the new royalty and that we should come to them on bended knee and, and beg a boon of them. But that's not the case. Our senators and congressmen are our representatives. They are there to represent the actual and true government of this nation, which is we, the people of these United States. They're there to represent us. They're, they are there to do the bidding of their constituents. Unless they know what they're supposed to be doing, then they may not do that great a job of it. And even when they do know, they may not do that great a job of it. But that's why you're there. You're there to let them know when they're not doing a good job, and you're there to ensure that if they have spent their whole time in Congress not representing you, not doing the things that you ask, that you ensure that you do not cast your vote for them again. All right? This is one, this is one power that you absolutely have. Now, there's a lot of other different things you can do, and then you're going to hear a lot of them if you go to an Appleseed uh, Rice Marksmanship Weekend. One of the things you can do is become part of the Appleseed Project and help the Appleseed Project push its mission. Uh, the Appleseed Project has a mission of aggressively seeking out folks, getting them off of their couches, 
getting them out to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Weekend, uh, getting them to set a goal of improving their rifle marksmanship, and then getting them to meet and exceed that goal, and then ask the logical follow-on question, which is, what next? What can I do next? What, what additional goals can I set and then meet? And you want them to become part of the Appleseed Project, help us push the mission forward, to help us uh, get more and more folks off their couches, get them to come out to an event to improve their rough marksmanship, to listen about the events of April 19, 19, uh, 1775, and to get them to become instructors. Uh, that is one way that folks can help. But even if you don't become part of the Appleseed Project's mission, there are still uh, thousands of ways that you can help. Uh, one of the most obvious ways that you can help is in voting making sure that every time there is any type of a vote being taken, I don't care if it's for city council, uh, for your county elected officials, uh, whoever it is, that every time that there's a vote being taken, that you make sure to get your vote in. That's one of the, the easiest and best ways that you can help to correct the, the current situation. And uh, there are some other ways, there are some harder ways, which may mean you might need, you might need to become uh, a candidate. If there's no good candidate, then maybe you'll need to go out and be a candidate. And, uh, uh, and that may be a bit more difficult job, but somebody's going to have to do it. And it might as well be you making sure that you're active in your local policy, uh, politics, your city politics, then your county, and then your state, and then national. Making sure that you're voting, that your vote is being counted every time that there's a vote. Uh, that's, one of the, that's one of the easiest and quickest ways. Don't, don't think that because you're just one person that your vote isn't going to matter. All right? It only takes uh, sometimes 10... Uh, or a hundred, or five hundred, or a thousand people to feel that way in order to make uh, a change in the outcome of a, a vote. There are many elections that go on across the nation where the outcome is determined by only a few voters, all right? So in many cases, it only takes five or ten of, uh, of voters to think that their vote won't make a difference in order for the outcome of the election to be changed. So don't fall into the into the trap of thinking that your vote does not make a difference or that your call or your letter to your representative will not make a difference because I've talked to quite a few of the staffers uh, at the Congress and Senate offices, and I've asked them about how it works. And they, they most definitely do keep a number. They keep track of the calls that have come in. They keep notes on the calls at the good offices. And whenever the uh, senator or, or congressman <clears throat> comes in and asks what's the word, uh, then they'll tell him. So they've had uh, 10 people that called in for and uh, 15 people that called in against. And because our government, the senators and congressmen, and our government overall, is very well aware of of the citizens' uh 
not ignorance, but their their apathy as far as contacting their senators or congressmen. They're well aware of the apathy involved. They won't. They know that those ten people who called in four actually represent uh, maybe uh, one thousand or two thousand or even ten thousand people apiece. There's actual uh, mathematical formulas formulas that they use to to make sure that the, to to translate the number of folks who've called in to the the actual number of folks who feel a certain way about a certain uh, subject. So don't think that your one vote or that your one call to your senator or congressman is not going to make a difference because in many cases it can. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we lost the... Uh, we lost the our call screener for just a minute, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a call real quick here. Eight seven zero six four eight. You're on the air. Hello. Yes. Uh, Michael. Is this Miss Morgan? Hello. Yes, it is. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm sorry. I, I've got a whole list of callers here, and uh, my call well, screener that's great. <laughs> just, that's just dropped off the air. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to uh, I'd like you to welcome uh, Miss Jan Morgan to the show. Uh, Jan has been a a veteran Associated Press uh, investigative journalist, a TV reporter, and news anchor for. Uh, almost the last three decades, and she has uh, graced uh, our show this evening by coming in to speak with us, and I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Well, uh, if we could start off just, uh, if you could just give us a, a quick uh, a quick history, a little bit of the details of the things that you've been doing for the, the last uh, 27 years. You know what? I, what I've been doing is really not as important as what we all need to do from this point forward. The only thing I would like to add to what you've already said, because you pretty much covered who I am and, and the folks who are tuning in from my pages already know about me, so I don't want to bore them with stuff about me. Uh, I will add to what you said uh, something that's probably the most important thing about what I'm doing now, which is that I'm an NRA-certified firearms instructor and range safety officer, and my personal mission is to to train and responsibly arm as many people in this country as possible, and more specifically women, because uh, women historically have not really um, taken the responsibility for their own self-defense. We've depended on the men in our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. We love our men and and, uh, everything, but there are a lot of times that we're not with the men in our lives. You know, in those times that we're alone, we definitely need to be able to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And so uh, my my big mission right now is to uh, train women in firearms, and it's going really well. I have a program, a curriculum that I, that I created called Armed American Woman, and it specifically is a gun class that is geared toward women. There are specific issues that women have related to firearms that men don't have because of the size of our hands, uh, our issues with recoil, because of our strength and our issues concerning the sound. Most women don't like the noise that guns make. Uh, and there's right. just a general perception out there that women have that they're afraid. 
they want to, to be armed, but they're afraid of guns. And what I try to do is spend a couple of hours in class time and really work with women on teaching them because I believe that knowledge is power. And once you gain knowledge about guns and gun safety, then the, some of the fear goes away. And by the time I finish with them in a couple of hours of class time and we hit the range and I work with them individually, my goal is that they leave knowing and, and leave with a confidence in their marksmanship ability and in their ability to pass their concealed carry test so that they can uh, conceal carry and, and be prepared to defend themselves. So that's the main thing I wanted to, to talk about regarding what I'm doing now. Still doing investigative journalism. My latest documentary, Rampant Justice, is, is an indictment on the Justice Department and the Criminal Investigation Division of the Internal Revenue Service. And I challenge people to take a look at it if they haven't already seen it. Rampant Injustice on YouTube. It's the only one that's got about 300,000 hits. There are a number of videos called Rampant Justice, but you can't miss mine. And uh, we, we unveiled and, and showed people around the country what was going on with the IRS before the mainstream media and everybody else caught up with it a few, a few weeks ago. So, uh, and what we cover is even much worse than what's already being exposed on the national level. And I'm hoping that Fox and some of the networks catch on to the aspect of it that we've covered uh, because what we covered is, is even more disgusting and disgraceful and in violation mm -hmm. of the rights of citizens and what's, what's already been exposed. Right. And, you know, I I saw the uh, I saw the video several times. Uh, you know, it's made mm -hmm. its rounds on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and I get emails and stuff on it uh, because of the folks that I'm moved in with. And I, I didn't know that was you. But I did know that the first time that I saw it, I was my, my jaw just dropped and I couldn't believe that that's the way that that folks were being treated. That all of our government agencies were now employing these uh, these paramilitary SWAT attack forces uh, and using them uh, for the slightest uh, for the slightest reason on American citizens. Well, let's be specific. It's not all of our government agencies. I've very clearly documented this behavior by the Criminal Investigation Division of the Internal Revenue Service and the Justice Department. And basically, for people who haven't seen the video, what they're doing, uh, and we documented this throughout the country. We didn't just cover a few folks in one state. And since we've produced this video, we've heard from businesses all over the country who say they've suffered similar tactics by these two agencies. But what we basically expose is that uh, you've got federal agents flying in from all over the country over simple white-collar crime investigations and barreling into with SWAT team raid tactics like paramilitary Gestapo guns drawn type raids on private business owners and by the way, these business owners happen to be conservatives who are known conservatives and contribute to conservative movements and issues, uh, but barreling into these businesses with guns drawn and pointing armed, you know, loaded guns at innocent citizens who aren't even under investigation. I mean, we're talking about, for example, one of the, one of the guys who owns a business, uh, he was being targeted. The IRS was investigating him for something called structuring, and it's basically a, a matter of paperwork regarding your finances. And whether or not he's guilty or or not guilty of that particular crime, uh, white collar crime, the employees who were manhandled and and uh, mistreated by federal agents had nothing to do with that. I mean, these were people that worked on the assembly lines at the water bottling company, and yet federal agents. 
federal agents came barreling in guns drawn. It was it was very frightening. They held uh, employees there all day, took hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the business owner's account. And you know he was never indicted, never found guilty of anything. And almost two years has passed since that raid. They still have over 80 boxes of materials from his business. And he told me just this past week, he said, Jan, my business is just about gone under. He said, I can't even – how do you operate without your client files, without all of your information, your records, all the things that they took? We still don't have back. And he said, no, they haven't charged me with anything. And you know, he lives his life day after day wondering if they're going to come after him again. And he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. Same thing with Gibson Guitar. We all know what happened with Gibson Guitar. Same tactics, paramilitary Gestapo-style tactics. That company spent $5 million trying to deal with these types of raids on their business, and they were never convicted of any crimes either. This is uh, the, the first one we're talking about with the Mountain Pure Water Company in Arkansas, right? Yes. Uh-huh. That was, like I said, when I first saw that, I, I couldn't believe that this was, that that it was ha- that, that was happening. I'm sure that those employees couldn't either. I'm sure they couldn't believe that, that they're all being herded in, held at gunpoint, and, uh, and then interrogated as if they were criminals and i don't know uh i don't know what is what is going to happen if this continues but i i know that it is having a, a horrible effect on folks when they see this sure and i had a number of emails and people asked me after they saw the video they said did this I mean, is this really the way it went down? Did this really happen? Of course it did. I've got 23 years under my belt as an Associated Press award-winning veteran investigative journalist. My credibility is on the line. I interviewed hundreds of people before doing this story and in the process of doing this documentary. I don't think that that many people would lie for their employers simply so that we could get a story. And we were able to document based on a number of different uh, things that we we got from the press and and other areas. So, you know, everything that we put out there is fact-based and can be substantiated and was substantiated. And one of the things uh, I remember from that video, I I still remember it because it was absolutely chilling to me, and I've heard it in a couple of other cases, but uh, you have uh, one of the... One of the folks in the Mountain True Water uh, uh, raid that said he was told by one of the federal agents that we, we are the federal government and we can do whatever we want. Exactly. And right. that just that just sent a, sent a chill down my spine because I tell you that I think I honestly believe that they honestly believe that because that's how they think about themselves and their job. You know, the thing is, every every law enforcement agency, every business, every agency has its bad apples. And initially, when I took on that documentary, my thought was, okay, we probably just have a few rogue agents that like playing cowboy that get to carry a gun now, and they're excited, and they get overzealous with their with their job and, and uh, rush in and, and conduct these kinds of paramilitary raids. However, we discovered that the IRS and Justice Department were flying in agents from all over the country, these little raids, raids like at Mountain Pure Water Company, all they had to do is send one or two agents in. Of course, they didn't need loaded guns. All they needed to do was walk in with a subpoena and say, we need the following paperwork from your company, the following documentation, and the, the, the owner would have complied. But to come barreling in there with guns drawn, loaded guns, pointed at employees, I mean, how that is so over the top. 
that I, well, you know, I, I knew when we put that out there that people would say, you've got to be kidding me. They, that Surely they didn't do that. Yes, they did. Yes, and it wasn't just once. Like you said, and, no, and you, it, sur- it you show fine. several examples in the, in the video, Rampant Justice, which I, I posted on the uh, on the radio show's page. I'd like you guys all to make sure you go and take a look at it. You show several examples, most recent examples right. of them doing that. And uh, and once again, it, it was a case, and I'm not going to compare the two together. But if you have the same kind of you have the same kind of uh, ideas, the same kind of attitudes uh, of the folks that went into uh, the compound in Waco. When everybody they talked to there said, look, you could have just walked in and asked him for for whatever you needed. You could have arrested him at any time. Why was this? Why do you feel you needed to do this? And I think that that's the case in, in the majority of these situations. Uh, one or two agents going in and saying, look, we're going to have to take your books. I can't imagine the employees of Mountain Pure Water uh, trying to stage some kind of resistance or something. Right. And, you know, the sad thing is these businesses, okay, for example, Mountain Pure Water and Dunstan Outdoors, two examples, those are, you know, privately owned businesses, mom-and-pop businesses, and when the news media covered those stories, the IRS and Justice Department never explained why they were there. They simply came in as if there was some sort of major raid. And the news agencies were left to stand there and report, you know, there's something major going on. There are IRS agents all over the country here. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what the owners of this company have done, but whatever it is, it must be truly bad, truly awful to have this big of a raid occurring here at this time. And no one ever explained to the news media what it was about. And so the reputations of these businesses and their communities was damaged forever. Both of those right. businesses that I cover lost business. They said we had we had you know people connected with us that have been clients for years called us and said you know I don't know what it is that you did or what you're being investigated for but we just can't afford to be associated with businesses that are in that kind of trouble. <laughs> and so you know you lose right. clients. Uh, and how do you recover from something like that? There's a doctor in Florida who I did not cover in my documentary. I, I found out her about her afterward, just like I found out about 30 or 40 other people around the country who have been subjected to these same kinds of raids. Uh, she, her business folded. She said, we could not, I could not operate after they, and they never charged her with any crimes, never charged her with anything. She went to Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago to take her complaints to Congress because it, it destroyed her business, her reputation, her business. She said, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to practice again, and she said the way the IRS handled this, I can't even can't even use Medicare. I cannot accept Medicare anymore, and until they cleared me because I've been investigated. She said, yet here's a fact: they haven't charged me with anything, but they haven't cleared me either. So uh, this is the kind of thing that's going on, and it, it really has to stop. It's kind of like guilty until proven innocent, which is not the way our country is supposed to operate. Well, you you have, uh, and I'm I'm hoping. I know you said you're 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 moving on to other things, but I was hoping that uh, I'm hoping there might be some kind of a follow up to Rampant Justice, where you where you cover the uh, where you uh, you know reveal the the additional stories that you've heard. So I'm hoping that uh, maybe that. you guys will do that. I would love to do that. The problem is, it costs a lot of money. It it costs a small fortune for us to produce the documentary that we did, 
And you understand that to, to go into these other companies, we have to fly all over the country. That costs money. We have to hire a photographer and production company to shoot and edit. So, you know, with that in mind, at the most, probably what we will do as a follow-up is list the names of the other businesses and, you know, and some maybe do a written article. But for us to be able to afford to fly everywhere and cover all the others, I, I just don't see how that's possible. I did interview a couple of others on camera, a business owner from Iowa, who came to this area because they were talking about a class action lawsuit. And uh, I was able to interview him about what happened in his family business. And he said basically it was the same thing that happened to these other two here. So I have an interview with him on camera, and we may post that as well as list uh, a number of other businesses around the country. And also you need to be aware that I, I know of a number of business owners who said, I will talk to you off camera, but you cannot use my name. You cannot use the name of my business because I don't want the IRS coming back on me again. They haven't charged me with anything. They came in. It cost me a fortune to just, you know, to get attorneys to keep them off my back. But, hey, you know, I just wanted to leave me alone. So I'll tell you that, yes, they did this to me, but you cannot name my business or or my name. You can't use my information. So there are people that are literally terrified of their government. And you know what, Michael? When, you're, when you fear your government, you're already a slave to your government. And that's exactly what I told these people. And I said, until you stand up and fight back, we're not going to win this battle. And I sat on this story for a couple of months before I ever agreed to do the documentary for that very reason. I, I tossed and turned about it, and everybody who knows me who was in my life said, you better not touch this one. You know, they're going to come out. They're going to come after you if you do it. And I, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I, I talked to people involved, the more I, I just could not not do it. And I was going to ask you if you've gotten an audit yet. I, I am currently involved in <laughs> with the IRS now, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Well, well, before you came on, uh, I was actually talking about that, about the, the fear that Americans have for their government, because as you know, just recently, with the craziness just that went on, we had sure. tens, even hundreds of thousands of military-grade rifles, millions of rounds of ammunition that were purchased by the American people. And it wasn't because they wanted to go hunting. It wasn't because they wanted to start target shooting. It was because they yeah. feared their government. Exactly. exactly. When it becomes such Obama, such a commonplace thing it's, that... It's uh, ironic that, that Barack Obama's goal was to disarm this country. I mean, if he had his way, he and Hillary Clinton, they would love for Americans to be disarmed. That would just be their perfect utopia America. Ironically, their their administration has done more to arm this country than any administration in history. So for that, I can say thank you, Barack Obama. But that's about the only thing I can thank him for. Right. Well, and the fact that, and this is uh, this is something because I work with the Appleseed Project, and uh, one of the things that we do is we we spend a good deal of time at each event talking to folks about the events of April nineteenth, seventeen seventy five, and about the the history uh, of the run-up to that. Why Why did that happen? Why did that event happen on that day? What led up to it and why it happened? And some of the things that we're experiencing today uh, are the exact same things that they experienced then. And one of the things that I, that I feel that's also we have in common is when it gets to the point where you have the citizens of a nation, when they when they fear their government and and it comes to the point where the discussion, where folks are ready to discuss this, not behind closed doors or whisper in secret, 
but, but they're talking about it to each other at the gas pumps, at the checkout line, uh, you know, around the water cooler at work, or or over dinner with with people they just met. They're they're having dinner with, and they talk about the possibility of armed insurrection. Then, then we're we, we're way way down the line in a direction that we shouldn't be going, and it, we're at a very very dangerous point uh, in this nation. It, I, I, I don't know that it would take very much to to light the fuse. Uh, and to get us into some really rough, uh, some really rough trouble that it would be hard to get back out of. It's true, absolutely. Because uh, it's one thing for, you know, back in, you know, back um, several years ago, you know, you have people talking about uh, uh, about Second Amendment uh, issues and stuff like that, and and now it is brought to the it's brought to the very forefront, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because we uh, you've done a lot of work recently working with uh, with NRA and uh, with the Second Amendment uh, rights groups, and I wanted to to ask you your opinion on why you think this is an issue now because if you look at the records, if you look at these statistics. Uh, America is at a 100-year low for gun homicides, and uh, and if that is the case, then why are the anti-gunners? Why is this is this being brought up now? Why is it so important now? And and I, I wrote a note to you saying that uh, to me it reminds me of you know the, the street uh, artists that are they're hiding the peanuts under the the shelves or they. Or they're doing some kind of sleight of hand, and they want you to look at their at the one hand that they're holding out, so that you won't see the other one. So if they're wanting us to look at the Second Amendment issue so hard, what is it that they they don't want us to look at? Why are they pushing this so hard? Well, I think the reason they're pushing it so hard at this time is because they know that we have an administration that is supportive of it, and we have a number of uh, Democrats who are also supportive of it in the legislature, and they think here's our chance to finally get it passed. I don't think that every single person who is supporting this anti-gun movement is truly uh, hoping that we'll become an unarmed nation uh, because they really want uh, a tyrannical government. I, I do think that there are some liberals out there who absolutely are foolish enough to buy into this America will be a safer place if we disarm everyone mentality. Uh, but, of course, we all know, those of us who know anything about firearms and those of us who have educated ourselves at all know better than this. We know that uh, cities and states that have the most restrictive uh, the most regulations against gun rights also have the highest crime rates, and, and also, counter to that, cities and states that have the least amount of restrictions on gun owners have the lowest crime rate. So gun control does not work. It never has. It never will, and gun control is not about guns. It's about control. Right. That's exactly it. It's about control. It's about controlling the populace, and and that's one of the things that really does worry me even more because if one of the first things you want to do is get uh, is to ensure that your population does not have the ability to resist you, then where are you going to go after that? And uh, and we have plenty of examples of countries uh, that have done that. It started out with disarming the population, and then it uh, it went from bad to worse from there. Uh, one of the examples.
as I use is is uh, is Germany. Now, if you went to the folks in Germany in the 1930s and you asked them, well, do you think that uh, in a couple of years that you guys might be uh, accomplices in some of the most horrific uh, crimes against humanity in the 20th century? Do you think that you guys will be involved in that? And uh, I can almost guarantee you they would say, no, Germany was one of the most cultured uh, societies in Europe at the time, and yet it still happened. I think that folks think that about our country, that because of the freedoms that we have always had, they take them for granted and say, we'll always will have them. I don't think that folks understand how fragile our freedoms and liberties are. Well, you know what? When people like that come on my social media pages or on my website and they challenge me on the gun control issue and they say, oh, it's not about tyranny and that's not what's going to happen if we just you know, put more restrictions on the people and remove some of these assault weapons, uh, I've I, I asked them to take the time to view a video called Innocence Betrayed. It is one of the best gun control videos out there on YouTube. It is it is. It tells the history of gun control. And in the 20th century, basically what it documents is that in the 20th century, over 170 million people have been annihilated by their own governments after being disarmed. And that should be enough to frighten anyone, to make anyone understand that even a government that doesn't have the intent of tyranny when they're implementing gun control once you disarm a populace, you take away their liberty. And that's why I'm a firm believer that an armed America is a free America. We have to remain armed in order to protect our liberty. That is the only way that we can defend our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. The government knows that. Other countries know that. And that is one of the reasons that America was a superpower. And I hope we continue to remain a superpower, even though I think we've lost some of that status over the past um, – eight to ten years, I would like for us to get it back. And I think that we're on our way. Right. Well, what can what can, what can the average person, the folks who are listening uh, to the show, what can they do? Now, we got their, everybody leads a different kind of life, but the majority of folks, they work uh, an eight-hour day, five days a week. They they come home and they, they've got their, their life and their chores and everything else what is some of the things that they can do to uh, to jump in on this and assist in this mission? I am so glad you asked me that question because we all know what's wrong with America. Everybody knows what's wrong. Uh, those of us who are, are angry about it, you know, that want to do something, there are so many people that feel they can't. It's like, well, if, unless I can run for office, what can I possibly do as an individual? There are a number of things you can do. First and foremost, become educated on the issues. You can't educate other people if you're not educated yourself. And you're going to have to take the time, besides watching something like MSNBC and CNN and ABC and CBS, you've got to take the time to research and to uh, to do your homework. In addition, you've got to share that knowledge with your friends. Once you've gained it, you have to share it. Number three, you've got to educate your children. If you're a parent, if you have kids or grandkids, it is your responsibility, not the public schools that they attend, it is your responsibility to make sure that, they're, that they are armed with the knowledge that they need to become responsible, uh, active citizens in this country. So we've got to educate our children on the truth because they're not getting that in public schools. Um, third, you've got to get involved in the election process. Yes, I know people are busy 
living their everyday lives, working, taking care of their kids. But everybody can do something. If you can't donate money to a political campaign that you believe in, if you find a candidate that you can support and get behind, if you can't donate monetarily, everybody can do something, even if it's answering a phone at their campaign headquarters one hour a week or one hour every other week. Uh, or passing out some bumper stickers or some, putting up some signs in your neighborhood. I mean, there's something that everyone can do. You've got to get involved in the process, and then once your person gets elected, no longer in this country can we sit back and say, okay, you know, i got that person in office, now I can go on with my life, and they're going to do what they said they would do. No, they don't, because unfortunately, once they get to Washington, they become exposed to so much pressure, many of them become corrupt. So we've got to stay on those people that we elect and make sure – that they know we're going to stay on them, and we're going to hold them accountable to stick with the things they told us they would do. That's a hard job, but if you stick with it, we can we can be successful in that. And if you align yourself with organizations like the, the Tea Party or the Republican Party or a Libertarian Party, uh, the conservative organization that is busy fighting for our country, if you will align yourself with those organizations, they'll do a lot of the homework for you and provide you with the information you need because I know that people don't have time to come home at night and sit there and study and study to find out what happened today. If you'll go to my website, janborganmedia.com, I keep you posted on the biggest stories of the day, and I present the truth uh, for the American people on what's going on and the issues that we need to be most concerned about. Uh, Town Hall is another good website. A Patriot Update, another one. Uh, the Daily Caller. There are a number of good, strong, conservative websites out there that are fact-based and telling the truth to the American people. So those are just a few things that we can do. Um, and, of course, prayer. I'm a firm believer that prayer is uh, is very powerful. And uh, for those of us who believe in God, then prayer always helps as well. But it's not enough in and by itself. Right. And, well, you should start your day that way. But uh, And I know it's, uh, there's no direct quote on this, but I know that, uh, that God does help those that help themselves, and you should be helping yourself in addition Exactly. Now, you mentioned the mainstream media just a minute ago, and you were talking about, uh, I know, like the ABC, NBC, CBS. And I just wanted to ask you, as a veteran Associated Press reporter, now I know that the Associated Press works differently, the conglomeration of of reporters, but did you experience... Uh, did you experience any of the uh, of the story coloring uh, that uh, normally goes on with the, the mainstream media? Let's set the story straight, first of all. I, I did not work for the Associated Press. The Associated Press awards journalists around the country in television, print, and radio for uh, the work that they do, for breaking stories, for documentaries. I won Associated Press awards based on the documentaries that I produced and some of the spot news that I covered, some of the investigative reports. So I'm an Associated Press award-winning journalist, but I'm not employed by Associated Press. I have worked for as a television news anchor, CBS, ABC, NBC, all those affiliates, um, at some point in my life. I was in the mainstream media business for over two decades. And uh, one of the main reasons I left was because of the bias. I got tired of it. I got tired of news directors and producers telling me this is how you have to tell the story. Uh, I was one of the most rebellious reporters that they ever had to work with. <laughs> because there were, there were times I absolutely just bowed up and said, you know, I'm sorry, but you don't need to have me cover that story then because I cannot be objective. I can't. I'm not going to tell it the way you want me to tell it, so I, you know, you're going to have to assign someone else's story. Uh, and, I'm, you know, fortunately for me, 
I had enough um, credits under my belt that they let me buy with that. <laughs> so, and I was able to move up the ladder of the career uh, in, in TV journalism, and it was great. I worked for CBS in New Orleans was my last job before I got out of mainstream media, and it was a great company. But uh, and there were a number of conservatives there, but I tell you what, there were very few conservatives in the news business. Fox News was not a big factor back in those days. Otherwise, I would have definitely gone after a position with Fox. Well, I know that uh, I know from experience uh, being interviewed by and uh, and just years of watching. But if you watch uh, uh, if you watch one of the mainstream media uh, news outlets and then and then go and look at other uh, coverage of it, then a lot of times you're going to find a lot different spin to the story. I know that uh, I've been interviewed uh, on news coverages from CBS, NBC, and ABC, and uh, and some of it, uh, some of the news coverage was fairly, I thought, pretty uh, bizarre. Uh, they came out to interview me, interview me for uh, the Appleseed Project, and they started mm-hmm. off the the news coverage not with me, but they went uh, over to the uh, to ADL. And used ADL as the entrance uh, to the to the news coverage. So he's an interview with uh, right. I can't remember his name with his name right now, but uh, the Anti Defamation League guy. And and his uh, his point was, he said, uh, uh, we do not think that the Appleseed Project is a threat to America at this time. And I thought, well, that's just that's just some pretty sorry coverage. Uh, I wrote back wow. to the reporter and said, "Look, can I can I get it posted that I don't think that uh, uh, that the ADL ADL guy is a pedophile at this time, uh, but you know, but I'll need to have some more some you know some more information." I just thought that was some right. pretty sorry coverage. So, and of course, it went on, and and they certainly did everything they could to spin it uh, as a uh, as some type of an insurrectionist movement. And uh, right. and all three networks did that. So I thought that was uh, uh, that's just what most. And the problem with that is, is that now most people are most people expect that, and a lot of times they 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 don't take the the news organizations as credible organizations anymore. Exactly. You know, the interesting thing is, uh, knowing what I know. I have not shied away from the mainstream media. When I'm speaking at uh, large events, for example, I was uh, asked to be a speaker at a Second Amendment rally in Albany, New York, on the steps of the state capitol when the legislature was about to convene and vote on the SAFE Act, which uh, if you know what's going on in New York, you know it's just a horrendous piece of legislation against uh, gun rights. Right. But uh, you know, knowing that, when I got out of the taxi to walk up to speak, I, there were about 3,000 people at that rally, and all the major network affiliates were there. And the only one that was brave enough to approach me to interview me was the Fox affiliate because <laughs> those other networks know. In my speech, I railed them all, and they know I know how to talk in sound bites because I'm one of them. And they knew that if they interviewed me, there's nothing that, that I would say that would be harmful, to, that they could turn around and that I would talk in sound bites so that they couldn't edit it or cut it, that it would have to be utilize the way I put the information out. So they wouldn't even come and interview me, but uh, that's fine. I, I did I did have an ABC affiliate in, um, let's see, it was in Ch- Chicago. I did a, a women's firearms class, and I did a, a, a keynote speaker address in Chicago, Illinois, of all places, believe it or not. 
Uh, 56 women, by the way, signed up for that class, my firearms class, which was amazing to me in a city and state that doesn't allow people to have guns. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty astounding. But while I was there, the ABC affiliate came to cover the story, and it was a female that covered it, and I thought, oh, boy, here we go. By the time I finished with her, she was ready to take my class. <laughs> so uh, it, it worked out really well. We got we got really good coverage by uh, by the ABC affiliate there. So they're not all bad. There are some good people still working for the mainstream media, and not all people in the mainstream media are anti-conservative uh, or biased liberals. But uh, oh no, 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 and I, I don't mean to say that, that, but they are, but they, but a lot of times they are pressured by the. Uh, by the administrations of their networks to spin a story a certain way. We had an, a reporter uh, from uh, the New York Times. He was embedded mm-hmm. with the, the Apple Seed Project for several months. And uh, and I kept talking to him uh, after he left, and he was writing the story, and I would talk to him. I'd say, how's it going? How's this story coming along? He goes, ah, it's okay. And I go, well, what's, what's the problem? Why isn't it out yet? He goes, well, because I submitted it. And uh, the uh, person in charge said that uh, I'd have to rewrite it. And it had to go through two or three rewrites before it actually came out. And the project that came out was a lot different than the initial one that he and I had talked about. And uh, and it was uh, – it had taken a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty strong anti-gun uh, position. And he didn't say it directly to me, but I can understand that uh, that that was the only way it was going to get released, that it was going to get okayed, was for him to write it in that fashion. So I know that uh, a lot of the folks, uh, I, I know that a good many of the folks are not, that, that not everybody in mainstream media is a certain way. Nobody in the world is a certain way. Everybody's different. But I know that uh, there was a lot of pressure put on the folks in mainstream media by the folks that control it exactly. to report on stories in a certain fashion. And uh, mm-hmm. even Fox. I mean, I, Fox is a great uh, is a great network, but I don't I don't trust them any more than I trust anybody else. I got uh, a bad interview from Fox, too. It's the best too, we have so. at the time. It, you know, right now right. it's the best we have television-wise. Uh, so... I am thankful that they're there because there are some great uh, shows. Like Sean Hannity does a great job. Uh, Megan Kelly, um, Bill O'Reilly's been so disappointing to me over the past uh, year. I think he's moved to the left somewhat since Glenn Beck was um, pretty much sent packing after all of his coverage on the Islamization of our country. <laughs> so uh, I love Glenn Beck. Still love him. Still follow what he's doing. And and I think that. Uh, his his departure from that network was a grave mistake on their part, not Glenn's. I think that right. he was obviously pressured to leave, and that was a big mistake. But uh, And I'll, I will never feel quite the same about Fox since that time, but uh, I still watch them and I support them because they're basically the only um, <laughs> the only bastion of truth in television news that we have out there uh, as far as network. So right. that's who I watch. Now, you were talking – you were talking recently about your work uh, with uh, NRA Firearms Instruction and about working with women. And I just want to tell you that that uh, the Appleseed Project does uh, a lot of the same thing. We offer uh, across the nation, we offer courses on a regular basis that we call Lady Seeds. And that's where we uh, we invite just women to come and learn 
and uh, and right. the the women of America have been really receptive to this. We we sell out just about every one, and uh, they come to the events. And it, in most cases, they're taught by by female instructors. But even when they're not, I think the, the one of the biggest pluses is that a lot of times women think that when they come to uh, a firearms type instruction situation, that they're going to have to be around guys who are going to be saying, oh, you're not doing this right, or you don't know how to do this because you're a girl, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and they feel a little bit more, uh, a little less anxious when they come to an event uh-huh. that's run by women and it's for women. And, uh, oh, of course. And so well, they do. so embarrassed. It, it's not embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Women don't want to look bad in front of guys, and they certainly, I, I do know this for a fact, women do not, by and large, women do not do well uh, trying to learn about firearms from their own spouse or their, you know, their their boyfriend, fiance, whatever. It just doesn't that it, that just doesn't go well. And I've also had a couple of uh, classes where I work specifically with couples, and you know, sometimes that that's really difficult uh, situation too. And I don't think either one is as as comfortable as they would be if they both weren't there at the same time because. You know, the man in the relationship, for example, I worked with one couple, and the man was just as new to guns as the woman was. And, of course, he's, you know, he wants to be the macho guy, and of course he does. That's what the man is, he's the macho guy, and he wants to be the best at, at whatever and, and be able to defend the woman in his life. And uh, he, was, he, was, he came in afraid. I could tell he was afraid she was going to do better than he did. Uh, and so I was very conscious of that and uh, worked with him specifically so that he would not fail in that, in that regard. And, and he did do well. By the time it was over, he left feeling really good about his ability. And, and by the time I finished with him, he was shooting quite well with a 40 caliber Glock subcompact. So, and his wife did well, uh, too. So, but, but still, it was it, it's just kind of awkward, I think, for her for husband-wife teams sometimes to, to do that together. Well, and I know there are exceptions, well, but... I see that quite often, too, and I see it, uh, I'll see it at the Appleseed. And then, of course, I have uh, I have my own company called Battle Road USA, and uh, we teach uh, combat and self-defense shooting with uh, handguns, rifles, shotguns, you name it, anything smaller mm-hmm. than RPG, and we cover it. But at the Appleseeds, right. whenever it's a uh, an open to the public, uh, male and female, uh, I'll uh, I'll make sure that when couples come, I let them know. I said, look, you guys are here to learn, and you're both going to have a good time today, but I'll split them up, and that way I said, right. look, I'm going to split you guys up because I don't want uh, her to have to listen to you say, you're supposed to be doing it this way, and I don't want you to have to listen right. to her saying, shut up, you know. Right. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. and they they have a good time. I said, look, you guys are here to, you guys are here to learn and have a good time, and I don't want anything to get in between that. And... One of the things I will tell you, though, is that uh, what we've found, and I've found this by, by going through thousands of shooters, and that if you have a man and wife team that will show up a lot of times, the woman will do much better than the guy. And the reason is because guys know. well, they guys think that they are genetically enhanced to be able to use firearms, and they only right. listen out of one ear. Women come yeah. and they say, you know what, I really, I'm really not that sure about what I'm doing, so I'm going to listen to what the instructor says and then apply it. And hey, they end up doing better than the guy. That's exactly right, and and I think it's not just that guys think they're genetically engineered to be better shooters. I think part of the deal is guys. A lot of guys grow up around guns, you know. They and and dad didn't hand it to them and say, okay, son, let let me teach you about sight alignment, proper grip, 
proper body positioning, how to deal with recoil. You know, dads in most cases handed their son a rifle and said, okay, son, let's go hunting. You know, and they That's go out it. there and, and just they learn bad habits. Uh, you know, my, my dad's a hunter, and there are things now since I've become a, a firearms instructor that I, I see him doing that I didn't notice when I was growing up that he was doing wrong. And, and still, to this day, when I point out, I say, Dad, you know, actually that you're not that's not how you're supposed to hold a gun or that's not how you and he'll just he's very defensive about it well i you know i I still kill my limit of deer every season and say okay you're right you're right but but the thing is a lot of guys out there they learn bad habits and even though they're successful shooters and they may do really well because they've learned to compensate for those those bad muscle memory habits women on the other hand don't have that background a lot of them didn't grow up around guns they didn't have anyone hand them a gun they come to gun class with completely an open mind and so they're really listening to you when you say this is how slide alignment works and uh, this is how you're supposed to grip the gun and this is how you handle recoil and they ask questions and you know we take the gun we I show them the parts of the gun and how to how to stand properly how to deal with recoil issues and they really do pay attention and by the time they hit the range, you know, after we've had a couple of hours of class time, by the time they hit the range, they're excited about shooting, they're not afraid, and they actually listen to what you said and they put it into practice. They don't have bad habits that have to be unlearned. So I that's agree with the, that's you. That's a big that point there. Women are better shooters. They just are. And that's not, I'm, I'm not a feminist, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but it's just, it's just a matter of fact. Yeah, they don't have, they don't have, in most cases, they don't have to unlearn bad habits. And I'm telling you, unlearning a bad habit takes uh, a couple of hundred thousand more uh, imprints than learning something correctly. Uh, in order to, to unlearn something that's already embedded in your muscle memory, it's a very difficult thing. And uh, and like you said, most guys will come, uh, they'll come to learn with uh, incorrect stances or uh or trigger control abilities, you name it, and uh, folks will have bad habits surrounding that. It's hard to get, it's hard to cut through those. <laughs> and, uh, and also know, the. Uh, it, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm just going to say that some of the, as a range safety officer, my responsibility when I'm actually at the range and overseeing a range, not when I'm teaching classes, but when I'm just there as a range safety officer and I'm watching people shoot. Uh, some of the mistakes I see men come in and make, and women as well, well it just it, it frightens me to death. I look at some of these people and I think, how did they get their concealed carry permit? And there are a lot of people out there, and this does concern me, who are, are armed and they don't have a clue what they're doing. And, and one of the things that, that's really important to me is that we're responsibly armed. Yes, we have a right in this country. We have a right to be armed, and we don't have to get trained. We have a right to own a gun and carry a gun even if we don't know how to use it. But in my opinion, it is the responsibility of American gun owners to be responsibly armed, and that involves training yourself and knowing that not only do you have this right to carry a gun, but that you know how to use it and that you can be competent in your marksmanship ability. So that if you're in a situation and you have your concealed carry permit, you're in a mall and some guy is in there shooting up the place, you need to know that you know that you know that when you point that gun and you pull that trigger to try to stop that attacker, that you can hit him and not hit an innocent bystander. Uh, you know, there are too many gun owners out there carrying guns who don't have that kind of confidence. And when, you're, when your adrenaline is flowing and you're in a situation like that, you're going to be shaky anyway, and you've got to know that your marksmanship abilities will be accurate in that situation. And I, I fear that there are too many Americans out there who don't have that, 
that under their belt. And that's why I encourage people even, you know, I to, to go shoot. Even though you own a gun, you've got your concealed carry permit, and you, you're good, things change. Vision changes. Your ability to hold a gun as you get older, your your strength uh, to deal with recoil. There are a number of things that come into play, and you need to, to maintain that marksmanship. And I see fewer people going to the range these days because of the, the price of ammunition. <laughs> Myself, I, I mean, I, I used to take my AR-15 to the range, and it was nothing to, to burn three or 400 rounds of ammunition, you know, two, two, three ammo. I, I thought nothing of it. Now, every time a casing flies out of that AR, I'm thinking, well, there went a dollar. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're feeling the, the pain on that right now. Yeah, we're feeling the pain on that right yeah. now with, with our school because uh, – Prior to the craziness, it was already a bit difficult because uh, you get folks to come in, and in order for them to to develop muscle memory and for them to become competent and uh, and have uh, the experience and their confidence and their abilities, they need to shoot a good amount. So we we burn up between 500 uh, and a thousand rounds between the two days, and. Uh, before the craziness, that wasn't that bad, but it did tack on an extra two hundred bucks. Now we're talking about at the height of the craziness, it was a dollar, dollar ten, dollar twenty around for nine millimeters. So we're talking about another eleven hundred dollars to take the course, and uh, that's just too much. People can't afford it; they won't do it. Now, one of the things, one of the articles that you wrote recently that uh, that seemed to create a bit of a buzz was an article about your AR-15. He wrote, uh, "My AR-15 is not an assault rifle," and uh, and that seemed to cause a a, a good bit of uh, a discussion. Uh, yes, it did. It generated quite a bit of discussion. Actually, that that article uh, was run on the Daily Caller, as well as my website. It ran on Patriot Update, and Daily Caller uh, editor sent me an email, as well as uh, an email to the folks who helped sponsor me at Liberty Alliance that it was one of the highest viewed articles uh, in their history. <laughs> it's just, he was like, I don't know what the deal is, but, I mean, everybody is reading this article and sharing it. So, well, it was at the height of, you know, we just had the shooting in Connecticut, and everybody was down on the AR-15, and people were talking about, oh, that's an assault weapon. And my big my, my thought was, and, and I said, my AR-15 is not an assault weapon unless you try to take it from me. Uh, so, I, you know, it's not an assault weapon. My my 12 gauge shotgun, my 12 gauge Mossberg, I put a collapsible buttstock on it. I've got, um, I've made a number of of, uh, of changes to that shotgun, and it looks like an assault rifle. If Joe Biden saw my shotgun, he would think it was an assault weapon, simply because of the way it it it, ha- it looks, because it's got the grip, it's got the collapsible buttstock. Actually, I made those changes to that. Um, shotgun simply so that I could handle it better because it was too long for me. Uh, I could deal with the recoil a lot better if I put the collapsible butt stock on it. So I right. did, and I explained that that 12-gauge, that shooting that 12-gauge at a human being is going to do a whole lot more damage than uh, shots from my AR-15. And there's just such a misconception. The liberals think that because of the way it looks, if it looks bad, if it looks scary, it's an assault weapon. <laughs> so Right, um, and they anyway, must be yeah, right because they, they feel. Yes. Yeah, they have. That's their feelings. They feel that it's right. that it's more dangerous. So that makes it so because of their feelings on it. It doesn't need to so have any uh, at, any basis. 
if you look at the way the um, majority of liberals argue their position, you will notice that a majority of their arguments are based on emotion rather than facts. Well, they don't know enough about guns to use facts. So they have to rely on emotion, and that's the kind of arguments they put forth are emotional arguments. We have the facts on our side. We have the facts on our side and on virtually every issue that we stand up for, which is limited government, uh, gun rights, the Second Amendment. Those issues that we, we believe in and that we stand so strongly for, the facts are on our side. So the liberals are left with nothing, nothing to counter with other than an emotional response or – Name calling, which is what they do to me. They, they love right. calling me horrendous names and threatening my life, and <laughs> so uh, you know that's that's just kind of goes with the course, though. So I've got well, used to it. you know, I, I was reading a report recently that was talking that that mentioned stuff like about the fact that uh, the likelihood of your car being vandalized if you had a uh, a conservative rather than a liberal bumper sticker was much, much greater. And about the fact that the the acts of actual uh, uh, domestic terrorism, uh, <laughs> the actual acts of, of domestic terrorism that are that are generated by left leaning folks, liberals, uh, right? By liberals, yes, were way, way uh, outnumbering anything possible by the right and, and nobody knows this nobody hears about anything like this and then you have <laughs> folks like the like uh, the vice president who come on the air and they tell you things like to shoot your shotgun off the balcony of your residence or shoot through the door <laughs> and i just I, I can't imagine that he hadn't already been uh named as a co-defendant in some type of legal action uh right and i think that comes back to you know when you were mentioning earlier about women and women now are are the fastest uh, growing uh, additions to the shooting industry uh, exactly. more than any other yes, time in history. And you have the the uh, the traditional response. And I even heard this recently from uh, from some police chief up north. But they traditionally women have been always been told to submit. Whatever happens to you, just go along with it. Uh, and to me, I think that's the most the, the most absolute uh, horrific thing that you could tell anybody is don't try and defend yourself, but go along with it. And I'm I'm certainly oh, happy to that, see. <laughs> go I ahead. think the liberal response. I think the liberal directive for defending yourself was urinate on your attacker, throw up on your attacker, uh, tell them you've got some sort of communicable STD. <laughs> I mean, they're, right. they're, 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 I, I just had, that was so sad. But, you know, I had to laugh when you were talking about uh, vandalism on cars because of your bumper sticker. <clears throat> that is so true. I drive a little a convertible uh, Solstice, and uh, I've got an Oath Keeper sticker on the back of it because I'm a citizen member of Oath Keepers, and I have a National Rifle Association sticker on the back of it. You can imagine what my poor car has been through every time I leave it in a parking lot somewhere for more than a few minutes. It gets keyed. It gets, you know, it gets dented. It's just, it's a it's a sad state. And I, I kind of, you know, I'm like, well, do I fix this or just take the stickers off? And I thought, my gosh, no. I have a, I, I have a right to put those stickers on my car and I just need to put hidden cameras on it, I guess, so I can get these people doing what they do to it so that, you know, I can maybe come back at them. But, uh, well, anyway, let me yeah, tell you about that's it. That's just true. An experience I just had, I, I got stopped uh, 
and this was locally, and got stopped uh, for speeding. And I was speeding. And of course, uh, you know, I, I never try and get out of it. If I'm speeding, I'm speeding. I didn't realize that they had moved the city limits out farther, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. it. And uh, mm-hmm. so I got stopped for speeding, and the officer came up and talked to me, and uh, and his third or fourth question was, do you have any weapons in the vehicle? Do you have any firearms? And I said, yes, sir, mm-hmm. I absolutely do. He said, what do you have? And I said, well, I said, I've got... Uh, got my Glock 17 in the console here, and then I've got uh, an AR and an M14 and a Grand in the back. And he just looked at me for a second. <laughs> I said, look, I go, I'm, an, I'm a firearms instructor. I said, and, and I just finished up a course. And he said, uh, you know, okay. He said, you know, he asked me where the firearms were, and I told him. And that was really, that was about it. But when we got through, right. I said, uh, and I said, I wanted to ask you, I said, uh, I, I haven't been stopped in seven or eight years, so I just wanted to ask if this is something that you guys now do on a regular basis. Do you ask people whenever you're, you know, talking to them if they have a firearm in the vehicle? He said, ah, sometimes. He said, but uh, I saw your bumper stickers, and I have mm-hmm. an Apple C bumper sticker, and then I have a, a C&P uh, sticker that says, uh, I let my grand do the talking, and uh, Right. So that's why he asked, because uh, I guess of the directives of, uh, like, uh, Homeland Security and stuff like that, if they have uh, bumper stickers that uh, have conservative uh, sayings on them or if they have any kind of, anything that deals with firearms, that uh, they ask if there are firearms in the vehicle. Well, I thought that was kind of strange, but I guess talking to other folks now that it's a semi-regular occurrence. Right. You know, I I haven't been harassed in any way by law enforcement. Of course, I live in the South, and uh, a lot of cops here are gun rights people. In fact, the last, um, when I took my state concealed carry instructors course with Arkansas State Police, um, there were some law enforcement people in that class, actually, trying to get their certification to become concealed carry instructors as well. And, you know, they were... um, they're, for the most part, they don't mind. One of the things, though, in our state, if you're stopped, for example, if you're stopped uh, and asked for your license, your driver's license, you're supposed to also hand them your concealed carry permit and let them right, know you're the your thing. arms. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the things I would love is to see us, uh, the, to see the Firearm Freedom Act become law in all the states. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's doing really well in states across the country. And basically what that act is, if you look it up on the Internet, it will show you how many states have already passed it, how many are considering it, and how many are uh, have said no. And the states that have passed it are, are growing in number. And what it basically does, it bows up to the federal government in the area of gun rights and basically says to the federal government, it's legislation that says to the federal government, in our state, our state is sovereign and our citizens will not be subject to any firearms regulations from the federal government. The citizens of our sovereign state are only subject to gun laws that our citizens support and have passed. And if you, furthermore, enter our state, if any federal agent enters our state and tries to enforce federal gun laws, that agent will be arrested. <laughs> so it, believe it or not, that it started, uh, I believe it started in, 
Virginia. I'm not sure which state it started in, but Montgomery, Alabama, I did a speech on the Second Amendment on the state capitol steps there as that legislation was uh, before the legislature, and the folks there had taken it from – that was Montana is where it started. Montana, and yeah. They it was had, introduced yeah, in Montana, yeah. Right. Yes, in, in Montana, and I think right now Montana is being sued by the federal government because of it. But you know what? If enough states stand up for states' rights, which is what they should be doing for their citizens, you know, the states are sovereign states, and they they need to stand up for their citizens. And if enough states would do that, you know, for a while it just seemed like Arizona was the lone state with the gut with the guts to uh, to go up against the feds. And uh, little Governor Jan Brewer, who I, I admire greatly, a <laughs> tiny little woman with a lot of guts. Uh, you know, she stood up for the citizens of her state, and she's fighting for them. And, and I think that we're seeing more state governors do that, and I'm really encouraged by that. Well, it's been introduced in a great many states, including uh, Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, right. Oklahoma. It's introduced and, and still sitting there. And we've got uh, several folks, even with Appleseed uh, members, that uh, are helping to push that through. Now, there's uh, there's quite a few states that have already passed in, and uh, and I'm certainly for this because I think the federal government has gone way out of bounds in their uh, interpretation of uh, the Federal Commerce Clause. I mean, if you use the federal government's interpretation, it can be used. It could be used to uh, to supersede anything. Uh, they can use it in any fashion they want, saying that anything uh, has to do with commerce. You know, me me growing an right. apple on my land. You know anything, right? And exactly. they've gone way out of bounds on that. And I think that the current push uh, for states' sovereignty is an excellent thing. Now, I noticed that uh, that you're going to be working pretty soon with uh, Sheriff Mack in an event. Yes, actually, uh, I'm doing an event June 14th with Sheriff Mack as well as Dudley. Um, uh, Dudley is it Brown. I can't. My, I'm losing. My mind's going blank. Uh, with the Gun Association of America, Gun Rights Association of Gun Rights, or something. But uh, yeah, I will be doing an event with them in Arkansas, uh, and I'm also doing. Really excited about this in Arizona. I've been asked to be the first female in the history of the Citizens Defense League, which is a gun organization. First female in their history to be the keynote speaker at their event. In uh, October, that's October 5th, their annual banquet. Uh, really excited about that. That organization is 10,000 members strong in Arizona, and they have been effective this past year in uh, passing over 30 pieces of legislation in support of gun rights for their citizens. So it's a very active group, and uh, I'm anxious to meet those fine folks. I love traveling around the country and meeting uh, Second Amendment uh, fighters. Um, I've had the opportunity to do that quite a bit lately and really enjoy that. And, you know, you were, we were talking just a minute ago about about the need for concealed carry holders to make sure that they've gotten uh, as much in training, as, as much instruction as possible. And, that's of course, that's sure. one of the, the goals of, of our company, of Battle Road USA, and we gear it uh, specifically to those folks because just having – just having a license to carry a firearm is not good enough. It, it may it may save your life, but but it could also get you killed. Uh, in order for you to to have the best possible chance of defending yourself or your loved ones in a real world situation, you you must seek out some additional training. And and one of the things that uh, 
that I think that a lot of folks are finding out now, and of course uh, this is despite the uh, the project that uh, Ms. Sawyer did about uh, concealed carry folks uh, not mm-hmm. having any type of advantage or anything, and saying that only the police have uh, have the training needed. I think if you look and you'll mm-hmm. see that uh, a good many instances the police uh, have shot a lot of folks uh, because they didn't have the training. I mean, we've certainly got the case mm-hmm. up in New York where I believe they shot seven or eight uh, bystanders. And that's one of the things that uh, I've been trying to push for, and that is uh, making sure that uh, that we get officers in for regular training. Uh, I've got a couple right. of, uh, of law enforcement officers on my staff, and they'll be one of the first people to tell you that uh, that they don't feel safe uh, in a lot of situations responding to shooting situations with some of their fellow officers because exactly. they know that those officers <laughs> don't have it; they don't have any training. And uh, right. so you can't just say that only officers have the training to handle themselves because a good many, uh, a good many concealed carry holders do, but normally they don't. And I would certainly encourage every concealed carry holder to seek out additional training. Number one, it'll, it it gives you more confidence in your ability to handle a situation. Uh, and we never try to tell people what decisions to make. You you make the decision on your own. That's whether you're going to be a good witness or you're going to actually get involved in it. But a lot of that's going to depend on your confidence level in your abilities. And uh, right. And the only way to get those abilities is to train. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to figure out some way, somewhere to train, and you've got to seek out that training. And uh, go ahead. Unfortunately, it's not just concealed carry permit holders that are not that are responsible or being irresponsible. It is some concealed carry instructors. I am amazed, amazed at how many women come to take my class who already have their concealed carry permit. In other words, they've been through an entire day of classes, and they don't even know the difference between a semi-automatic and a revolver. They don't know how to eject a magazine from their semi-automatic. They don't know how to deal with a jam in a semi-automatic. They don't know the difference between a squib and a misfire. They don't know... Uh, basic side alignment, proper grip, the standard body positioning for shooting. They they know nothing, and they know that. They come to my class and say, yes, I have my concealed carry permit, but I'm scared of my gun. I don't know anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, who are these concealed carry instructors who are simply handing permits to people? And I understand that in some states you don't have to take tests to get a permit. I understand that. But in my state, in my state, in Arkansas, where I am now, you do have to take a class, and you have to pass a marksmanship test to get your permit. And I'm telling right. you that there are too many instructors out here just handing people permits, taking their money and handing them permits. And I don't know how those concealed carry instructors put their heads on their pillows and sleep at night because I, you know, I, I feel personally responsible for every single person that leaves my class. I will not well, let someone leave my class until I know that they are leaving with the confidence and the ability how to safely handle that gun. They know their gun inside out, and they know how to hit their target. And if they can't hit it, then we work with them on it until they can. It's just it, I, I feel personally responsible. I'm not going to hand someone a concealed carry permit if they do not have the ability, the proper ability to handle that firearm. I'll just say, you know what, I'm sorry, but here's your money back. 
you're going to have to go to another instructor who will just give you a permit because I, I can't do it in, in good conscience. I cannot say that you ha you should be able to carry a gun in public and that my name is attached to your permit as your instructor. I just I haven't had to do that with anyone yet, not not a single student because I, I don't let people leave until they're trained. <laughs> but well, there are people in Texas, out there who are carrying yeah. guns that scare me to death. Yeah, everybody has their each state has its own regulations and stuff. I don't know what it's like in Arkansas, but but I can I think it's from what you're saying, it's a lot like here in Texas. But in Texas we're mandated, we're required to provide ten hours of instruction. But exactly. but there are really not a lot of guidelines on what that ten hours is. And I've talked to people before who said, Well, our instructor just sat there. He sat in front of the course, uh front of the, the class, and he simply opened up the Texas uh, the handbook on Texas uh, firearms laws, and he read right. in a monotone voice. He read through the whole thing, and that's that's right. ten hours of that will just murder you. Uh, so right. there's not they they made it ten hours, but they didn't say what you had to put in it. Uh, exactly. So I thought that that was I think that's wrong because, and I don't know why it's ten hours unless. They did that purposely to try and discourage some folks from taking it. Uh, but with us, actually, we yeah. – uh, go ahead. Actually, my first concealed carry permit, I was living in Texas when I got my first permit. I now live in Arkansas, and I went ahead and got my concealed carry certification in Arkansas, too. I wanted to go through the program because I never think you can have too much training. But uh, right. I – in Texas, I was fortunate enough to have a husband-wife team who were my concealed carry instructors, and they were extremely thorough. We had to sit through eight hours of class time on gun laws as well as gun handling, and then we had to pass a six- or seven-page written test on what we had learned that day. And then the next day, it was a two-day course, the next day I had to shoot for a solid hour. I had to shoot not only standing there in a fixed position, not the, just the isosceles position or the uh, the weaver position, but I had to shoot also in a draw, a rapid fire, drawing my gun and start shooting from the hip. I had to shoot so many shots within six seconds to demonstrate because we all know that in a self-defense self situation, it's not going to be a perfect ideal situation where you might not have time to stand there and go, okay, can, to your attacker, can you be still for a second while I get in my proper isosceles position and make sure my grip is right and <laughs> line my sight right. up? You're going to have to be able, you're going to have to be able to, I call it the tactical self-defense shooting. And we had to, we had to show uh, a certain level of accomplishment in that area as well as just, you know, hitting our target, and it was tough. It was a tough class. It was like, wow, I don't know how the average person passes this class. But I think those people were the exception. I'm just glad that I, I was able to study under them. They were outstanding, and I thought, you know, if every instructor put this kind of, of a test and put this type of requirements on, on, on the people, you definitely leave feeling like, okay, <laughs> I know that well, I can we handle myself. Right. We, uh, we give the 10-hour the course. But then, and we give an additional, uh, usually a four to six hour course uh, the next day on handling firearms and shooting uh, before we mm -hmm. give the marksmanship test. And uh, right. And we also offer these courses, the concealed carry, and actually all of our shooting courses. We offer them free now to uh, school teachers. So. If you're a school teacher and you want to take courses, and 
then we'll give you, we'll let you go through the concealed carry course at no charge and any of the defensive or tactical shooting courses that uh, we run, including the active shooter course uh, at no charge. And you were right. When you talked about earlier, when you talked about folks in an actual or real-world scenario and having to use that firearm, uh, one of the things that we drill in the folks' heads is, look, you you have to account for that round, for every round you fire, you're going to have to count from it, from the end of your barrel to its stopping point. And uh, we teach folks, we want them to shoot fast. We want them to be able to uncover, to draw the, the their handgun, and step offline, and then put three to four rounds per second into the target. And we want them to do this all in two to three seconds. Right. But then at the end of the course, we'll go through some scenarios, <clears throat> and one of those is we'll run them into, we'll run them in our shoot house. And mm-hmm. in one of the exits, they'll find themselves in a position where they have to make a shot on a target. And this target is uh, is a, a young man who's drawn a gun and has it pointed at them, but he's packed solid in a school hallway. That means that that none of your rounds can miss him. None of them can, mm-hmm. because any miss is going right. to strike and innocent. So that, that's one of the things that we teach them. You have to shoot fast, but you also have to take into account the situation. And that's going to mean uh, the innocent bystanders are getting a proper angle on the target so that you're not, uh, so that uh, a, a miss won't uh, affect uh, an innocent bystander. And it's it's a pretty mm-hmm. hard thing to do, especially when you've, you've got your, uh, your adrenaline pumping. And we do things like... Uh, exercise and loud noise and stuff like that to try and simulate some of the stress. And once your heart's pumping, it's a lot harder to make that shot accurately. And the only way you're going to do it for sure is to train doing it. Well, sure, absolutely. You know, one of the things I want to share is something that uh, I ask the women to do, and it, it it's something I, I had not heard anywhere else, but it was something that I noticed women were having trouble in my class loading the magazine, loading the bullets in the in the magazine, and then remembering, you know, which way the magazine goes in the gun. And I'm like, How, you know, that, that's not a difficult thing to, to understand. So one of the things I teach them, and I, I challenge all instructors to pass this on to their, especially the women, because this seems to be women just aren't as familiar with guns as men are. We, we haven't been around them or handled them as much. One of the things I ask women to do is at night when they're sitting at home, sitting on the couch watching TV, I said, take your magazine from your gun. And I want you to sit there and without looking, load and unload that magazine so that you can do it, even in the dark. Because chances are, if someone attacks you, you might not have perfect lighting. You're not going to have time to sit there and look down at your gun. If you've shot every round out of that gun and you, if you need to reload, what are you going to do if you don't have the magazine loaded? Can you load it in the dark? If you keep your ammunition and your magazine and your gun separate in separate places in your house and the lights are out and someone comes in and they're, they're after you, are you going to be able to load that magazine in the dark? And you need to know by the way that magazine feels in your hand what the right direction is that the bullets go into that magazine and the direction that magazine needs to go into that gun. And if you sit there on the couch while you're watching TV and just load and unload that magazine continuously by feel <laughs> rather than by looking – you know what? It's amazing how many women have done that, and they come in and say, you know, I can do it now just like that. I can do it so I'm fast. And then also I tell them, because women, 
you know, haven't gripped a gun as often as men. They haven't handled guns as often. I said, one of the things I want you to do, and I know this might freak your spouse out at home, but, you know, take your unloaded gun, eject the magazine, take an unloaded gun, make sure it's cleared, you know, make sure it's safe, sit there while you're watching a movie, and every few minutes just lift that gun and, and aim at the television screen and check your grip. You know, are your thumbs aligned properly? Or if you're going to use one thumb pulling down the other, is it in the right place? Are you gripping that gun properly? Pretty soon, every time you grab that gun, you're not going to have to sit there and look at it and say, okay, is my, you know, if I got this grip properly, is my hand out of the way? Do I have a thumb behind the slide? Uh, you know, invariably, a lot of women have a tendency, and I don't know why, but when they're shooting a semi-automatic, they want to put that, that left thumb behind the slide. So I, I challenge them to just sit there and consistently throughout an evening, in several evenings, just pick the gun up, point it at the television screen, put it down on their lap, pick it up, put it down, pick it up. And pretty soon you will have muscle memory of a proper grip, and you won't have to, to check it every time you get ready to shoot. So that's been an effective – both of those have been very effective uh, teaching methods I have found in getting women to learn proper grip and proper – uh, handling of a magazine and loading and unloading that magazine and then loading the magazine in the gun uh, without, you know, even if they can't spend range time. There's no excuse to not sit there and do that. Uh, Absolutely. You, know, you don't have to, Ab- yeah. So. Absolutely. Your, and I tell folks the same thing. I said the, your range time is only, you're only using range time to verify that the training that you've been doing at home is valid and that, uh, and that you're doing right. it correctly. The majority of your training should be done at home. That is drawing, uncovering, uh, and drawing right. your uh, your handgun, getting a good sight picture, and, of course, doing magazine changes. And, of course, I've been teaching that same thing for years, and I had to start laughing when you said that because I, I, tell, people, I tell people the exact same thing. I've been telling that for years. But, but when I first got married, and this has been quite a few years ago, but when I first got married... I was still doing that. Every time I got a, a new firearm, I did the same thing. And I would sit in front of the TV, practicing, uh, putting a mag in, ejecting it, and then putting another one in, and then ejecting it. Now I keep doing it. But once I got married, and uh, and to me, I can do it. I can do it during a television show or a movie or whatever, and it doesn't affect me. But the minute right. I started doing it, <laughs> my my wife. I looked over at her, she was looking at me, and she goes, really? Really? This is what you're going to do? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, I don't even hear it anymore. I don't even hear it, you know, the click when it goes in or anything. But I still do it. I just make sure I'm not doing it, uh, right. you know, when the, the rest of the folks are watching. Or or when I have somebody over that I don't know, because I don't want them to think that uh, uh, that I'm like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, was it uh, Bickman or something? Bickle uh, from Taxi mm-hmm. Driver. Uh you know that I'm uh, that I'm some kind of a obsessive compulsive getting ready to go off the edge, but that's the only way you're going to learn it, and that is by doing right. repetitions of it. And you do that enough so that when you actually have to do it, you don't have to spend time trying to figure it out. Like you said, you already have the muscle memory uh, of the motions done, and that's one more thing that you're not going to have exactly. to figure out. If you need to make a magazine change, you've already done it so many times that your body can do it without you having to think really hard about it. And that's very important whenever your stress level has gone up, and it's going to go up anytime you're handling the firearm in a real-world situation. I can guarantee you that your ears are going to be roaring, your blood's going to be pumping, and 
the the less things that you have to try and figure out then and there on the spot, the better. And one of the things that you shouldn't have to figure out is magazine changes, how to do a magazine change, or how to do a stoppage, how to figure out a stoppage. Those are these are things that you should be you should be doing at home. Now, for me at home, I do the same thing uh, throughout the day. I never do it when anybody's watching or anything, of course. But throughout the day, uh, I'll do three to ten draws during the day from conceal because I want to. I want to have. I want to build up good muscle memory of it. And you guys, mm-hmm. you guys that have your concealed carry permits, you should be doing the same thing. If you should be uh, making draws with your jacket on or your t-shirt or from wherever, you should be doing. You should be doing this over and over again because. That's the only way you're going to experience all the things that can go wrong. Grabbing your firearm with the T-shirt still stuck over it or grabbing the firearm and having it drop out of your hands. Right. Yes, ma'am. I hope the the people listening to the show, especially the women out there listening to the show, uh, but men too, one of the things that I teach uh, in my ladies' firearms classes, in addition to gun safety and marksmanship, is that you need to – know how to take care of your gun. I, I don't think that you need to be turning to the man in your life and saying, uh, hey, honey, I have spent the day at the range. Now my gun's dirty. Can you please clean it? Uh, you need to know that gun inside out. Women will take the time to learn about their purses, about their, their jeans, their designer, everything. I said you need to love that gun and be as familiar with that gun as you are all the lipstick in your cosmetic bag. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, well, it's... It's important, and so and it, it's part of responsible gun ownership, and it's part of, of becoming confident in the knowledge of that gun. If you know, if you take that gun apart to clean it, then you also have to understand how that gun works, and right. that's important. That's important in gaining confidence in in uh, in overcoming the fear that a lot of women have of firearms. So I tell the women, you need to learn how to clean your gun, and every gun that you buy comes with a little pamphlet. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. <laughs> So it's a it's a very simple thing. Some guns are more complicated than others. My Kimber 1911 is like, you know, uh, dismantling the atomic bomb. It's just there are a gazillion parts, and it it scared me to death the first time that uh, we took it apart. And uh, but and then on the other hand, my Glock subcompact has you know basically four parts. <laughs> you just yeah, strip it yeah. down, it doesn't uh, pop clean open, it, put it back together. Exactly. So I, and one of the other things I, I have to share this interest. I thought this was an interesting story. Because I, I had a lesson taught to me when I thought I knew quite a bit. Uh, my fiance and I were sitting in the uh, in the living room one night, and we were cleaning guns. He had asked me, what, you know, what would you like to do tonight? He thought we were going to have this hot date and go out on the town. And he said, what would you like to do tonight? And I said, we can do what, whatever I want. And he said, yeah. And I said, can we clean guns? <laughs> because I really need to clean my guns. And so we, well, he's a firearms instructor as well. And so we sat down and we started cleaning our guns. And when it came, from, it came time for me to clean my AR-15, you know, I don't strip it all the way down to the firing pin. I mean, I just take I take apart the big pieces and uh, right. do what I need to do and then put it back together. And he said, oh, no, oh, no, we're going to strip this thing down to the firing pin. You need to know how every single part of this uh, of this rifle works. And I was like, okay, you're right. I couldn't argue with that. Well, we get it all taken apart. And then he said, Jan, we should turn the lights out because you need to know how to put this thing back together in the dark. And I said, are you kidding me? That's absurd. Why would I ever need to know how to do that? And the minute I said it, the electricity went off. All the lights went out. There you go. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my AR-15 in a million pieces, and we just started laughing. He said, uh, okay, did you get my point? And I said, okay, you're right. So I had to put it back together in the dark. It was, I mean, you know, it could, the timing was just so ironic. 
uh, that that happened. It was in the middle of winter. There was no storm or anything, and the electricity just went off. So <laughs> it was like, okay, Jan, you do well, know how to take this thing apart. You're absolutely like, right yeah, because the uh, the folks that carry their firearms every day, and I do, and and whenever I've got to get under a vehicle to work on it, or if I've got to uh, if I've got to wrestle a uh, cow down on the ground uh, to do something. I still got my pistol on, and it gets dirty. I, you know, and even if it, even if I weren't doing that, uh, you've got your pistol in your purse, or if you got it on yourself, it's going to get dirty, no matter how clean you are, uh, because mm-hmm. the pistol usually doesn't jump in the shower with you. So I can't tell you the number of times that uh, that I had, because I also during the day, if I'm uh, I'm lucky enough that I that I live and work on my property. And uh, I've got uh, several firing ranges there, and, and I can shoot just about anywhere on it because it's about uh, 900 plus acres. And uh, so where are you in Texas? And, you say you're you're in Texas. What part of Texas? Uh, I'm uh, uh, southeast of Temple. You know okay. where Temple, Texas is, yes. South Waco. Yes, yes, uh, oh yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I need I'm to come there. to your range, and I need to come to your range and teach a women's firearms class then. I, I need. I just oh. got one on my wall just today uh, when I posted that my my armed American woman class that I was going to be teaching it in Hot Springs this weekend. It, of course, every time I post that that I'm about to teach that class somewhere, women come on from all over everywhere and say, "You need to come to Michigan. You need to come here. You need to come here." And you know, all states in the country basically. You can go look at my wall and see that. Uh, but just today, I got a call just before I came on your show from a woman. At, and uh, she's down around Austin, Texas, and she said uh, – she left a message, and she said, I just want to be sure that you hold a spot for me in your class. My husband has been following you on Facebook for some time, and he wants me to take your class, and we are on our way. <laughs> so that's quite a distance to be driving from Austin, Texas area to come here and take that class this Saturday. I, I was uh, amazed, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I need to uh, I need to, I need to, to get out more and, and do more of these around the country so that uh, I can be a lot more people in. in Come and teach, of course. We'd love to have you. We're starting to actually do that more is, is to to work with other uh, instructors from across the states. Uh, we just got through hosting a uh, precision rifle sniper course, uh, and uh, and we're starting to do more more work with uh, other instructors. And I'll be glad to talk to you about that, about coming down and, uh, and uh, teaching a ladies' course. I'm sure that uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that you'd get a lot of takers for that. So, uh, so I'll talk to you in the next uh, in the next week or so about okay. setting that up. We'll do that. Well, we'll do that. Well, if folks want to, uh, well, let me finish first about what I was saying just a minute ago about you were saying the importance of making sure you know how to tear your your firearm down and clean it. That is very important because no matter no matter who you are, your firearm's going to get dirty. If it gets dirty, you a lot of times you'll only get one shot off and it's going to jam. Uh, because it's it's packed solid with lint and dirt and everything else. So making sure that you know how to tear it down and clean it is a very important part of uh, individual carry. So that's something that that every person at least needs to know the basics. I'm not talking, you don't have to learn how to, to strip it down to its individual components, but you do need to know how to get in there and make sure that you have all of the uh, the dirt and lint off of the, the major parts out of the, uh, out of the slide and out of the rails and everything on it. Or that uh, that uh, that you are learning how to keep it clean and properly lubed, because uh, inattention 
the detail of cleaning your firearms can certainly cause you to have a failure, and having a failure on the range is no big deal. Uh, you can fix that. But having a failure out in the real world, real world might be the difference between you life saving your life or somebody else's, right. yeah, and you're not walking away right. from it. So just having the firearm in your purse, that's a great thing. But knowing how to, right. knowing that it's going to be a clean, lubricated, functioning firearm is a much better thing. Well, where right now you're teaching in Arkansas. And Actually, I folks teach... wanted... No, go ahead. Actually, Michael, I, I teach the class all over the country. I live in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and so I do more classes here because I, I, the range is a few minutes from my house. But uh, most of the time, the way this works, you know, people will come on my wall, my social media pages, and my website and say, you know, how can we get you to teach a, a class in Michigan or wherever? The way this works, I, I don't... Right now, I'm not setting up classes in various cities. What happens is organizations that bring me in to do speaking engagements, like, for example, the Illinois Gun Owners Political Action Committee in Chicago, brought me in to do a couple of speaking engagements. And then while I was there, they said, you know, would you teach a women's firearms class? Bring your, your armed American woman class here. And I said, sure. And so, believe it or not, 56 women signed up for that class. And so we did the firearms wow. class did a couple of speaking engagements, and then we had a meet-and-greet where they actually charged people to get in for the meet-and-greet time, and it, it ended up being a, a great fundraiser for their organization because my charges were pretty much pretty minimal. It was travel expenses plus um, a certain percentage for each student that takes the class. But that's the way it's working right now. Um, I, the, usually, if you go to my website, janmorganmedia.com, and look at the part that says Jan's upcoming appearances or Jan's appearance schedule, I'm not sure what it says, but you click on that, and it shows what cities I'm going to be in, what state I'm going to be in in the months ahead. Usually, even though it's not written on there at this time, for example, I'll be in Florida um, in November. While I'm there doing a speaking engagement, more than likely, either the day before that speaking engagement or the day after, I will be teaching a firearms class for women. Because what I will do is work with a local range there and say, you know, hey, I'm going to be in the area. And then I'll announce, ladies, I'm going to be in this state. That's, that's how that usually works out. But there are organizations that bring me in specifically just to teach the class. Um, so it's kind of that, that's how that works. I'm not when people ask me, so when are you going to be here? When are you going to be there? And or are you going to teach the class here? It's like, well, if you get enough women together, get your friends together, and if you can get enough women to justify my travel expenses and and uh, my making that trip there, then yes, I can come to your state and to your city and teach a firearms class for women. But you have to get it together. I've got too much stuff on my plate to be organizing firearms classes for women around <laughs> around the country. Right. You organize it. We'll set the date. Uh, you bring me there, and I'll be glad to teach. So. Well, we know that we're going to be that uh, folks can see you June fourteenth in Jonesboro at the yes. Arkansas Prosperity Tour, and you'll be there with right. uh, Dudley Brown, Sheriff Mack, and yourself. And right. uh, where else will folks can folks see you? Now, I, I already put out uh, on the. Uh, on the radio page and on the, the social media stuff, I put out uh, all of the uh, the pages that you have. But where else can people see you or read your writings or get a hold of you? Uh, you can find my work uh, on janmorganmedia.com. You can also find my appearance schedule on that website. And uh, some of the states I'm going to be in in the next few months will be North Carolina. I'm doing a speech at a rally there in September at Jomioki Park. 
I will be doing a speaking event and a women's firearms class in Orlando, Florida in November. Uh, I'm going to be in Branson, Missouri, speaking at a rally in October. I think that's October the 13th. I hate I'm, I don't have my calendar in front of me, so I'm just talking off the top of my head. And I've got a, uh, I'm doing an event in Arizona with the Citizens Defense League, and, and they're working on having me do a firearms class there as well as a speaking engagement. But that will be in uh, October 5th. And the Women Empowering the Nation in Orlando, Florida, is going to be a big deal because it's it, that is the name of the event, Women Empowering the Nation. There will be a lot of of um, strong conservative women there speaking to women from across the country about how to take our country back uh, from this progressive movement and help restore our constitutional republic. And they're bringing me in specifically to talk about the Second Amendment as well as teaching all those ladies uh, gun handling. So <laughs> that's going to be well, an, interesting, an interesting event for sure. Well, I look forward to uh, to speaking with you again and, uh, and having you come teach at an event here. And I want to thank you so much for giving the time to uh, to come and speak to our listeners tonight and uh, mm-hmm. and for all the work that you've done and that you're continuing to do. Thank you, and God bless you, Dan. Thank you so much, Michael. I've enjoyed being on your show. All right. Thank you, everybody that uh, called in and everybody that was listening tonight. And uh, you can find this, again, in the archives. And, uh, and I put all the information. And look on the uh, radio show a blog page for all the contacts uh, and for any of the other information we put out on the show. And uh, thank you again, Miss Morgan, and God bless and keep you in your travels. And we'll see everybody else this uh, coming Thursday, 7 p.m. Central.
Dragging who we meet, you call this liberty. 